you can you want to slow down and enjoy the experience, but you also don't want to sit around and hang out in 95 degree heat for too long. This Runs Radio, episode 1156, starts in three, two. Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey, uh, real quick before we dive into today's episode of the show, if you're looking ahead to the next race on your calendar, whenever that might be, and you're like, gosh, you know what? I, I really need to get my training in orders to help me be ready on race day. There is a book available that is designed to help you do exactly that. Be ready on race day is the title. I wrote it a handful of years ago. Some of y'all know that, but maybe maybe you haven't heard me talk about the book before. Uh, be ready on race day is available wherever Amazon sells books. Uh, well, actually, not quite because... Amazon owns Audible, and it's not available there, but it's available on Kindle. It's available on print, uh, and if you want to get yourself a copy to help you figure out how to put your training plan together, basically, it's everything. I tried to outline the processes as closely as I could to exactly what I do when I work with somebody. So you kind of look at your situation, your life, your your fitness, your goals, and really kind of map out exactly how to proceed uh, with confidence, not just guessing, not just hoping for the best, and certainly not just relying on some one-size-fits-all uh, piece of generic training advice. Though you can start with that if you want to, then use the book to really kind of tweak it, customize it, make it your own. But if you want some confidence of how to put your plan together, Be Ready on Race Day might just tick the box for you. So check it out. BeReadyOnRaceDay.com is the website. Get a couple sample chapters, get a feel for exactly what you're getting with the book, or just head on over to Amazon and order yourself a copy. One click that joker, either the paperback version or the digital version, your choice. Uh, but be ready on day.com is the website, or just search for be ready on race day in Amazon and uh, get yourself a copy. And then more importantly, get to work with putting your plan together. So you will in fact be ready to go on race day. Now, without any further ado, let's go ahead and dive in to today's episode of the show. Hey, y'all. Uh, my guest today is a guy that, uh, near as I can tell, looks forward to a good running adventure uh, pretty much wherever he can find it. Um, roads, trails, race, not a race. Uh, if, it's, if it's a good run with some good company, it seems like, judging from social media at least, that, uh, that he's game. So we'll see if I'm right as, as the conversation goes. Uh, but I'm looking forward to getting to know him a little bit better today. And uh, without any further ado, then, let's get the party started and officially welcome Mr. Nate Hanley to the show. Uh, thanks for joining us today, Nate. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. My pleasure. And, uh, y'all, if you enjoyed today's conversation, you want to connect with Nate, follow along on, on some of his running adventures. Uh, Instagram, I am Nate Hanley is uh, the handle there. Uh, I am. I think you can figure that one out. Nate, pretty self-explanatory. N-A-T-E Hanley, H-A-N-L-E-Y. I am Nate Hanley on Instagram. Uh, Dizruns.com slash 1156 will get you back to the show notes today. We've got some, some great photos. Obviously, we have anything that we talk about today, races and otherwise, that, that makes sense to link up. We'll link those things. And, uh, of course, we'll have uh, Nate's social media there as well on Instagram. Uh, Dizruns.com slash 1156. 1156 will get you back to the show notes for today. So, Nate, the way we always start off each episode of the show is with a pretty uh, simple and straightforward question. Um, which, you know, depending on which way you answer it, and there's a lot of good options, usually gives us a, a, some, some path to then kind of proceed down and, and see where it takes us. Uh, but it's just to simply ask, what is your favorite distance to race and why? So I, I did some thinking on this one. Um, and I think I, if I had to pick a, a single favorite distance, it would probably be 50K uh, trail specifically at this point. Um, Mostly because I've done, you know, every distance from 5K up to 100 miles at this point. And the 50K distance seems to be the, uh, you know, kind of the entry level uh, ultra marathon distance that, you know, I have a lot of friends and things that we've met uh, throughout my running adventures. And it's the best way to get the most people doing something difficult and surprising themselves with uh, what they are capable of that they might not have thought otherwise. So it's, it's a really exciting uh, time to, you know, I can go to a 
50k race that might be new to me uh and it might be you know my 10th or 20th you know 50k uh but there's always people there that are it's the first time they're nervous um and it's just exciting to be able to help other people along and see other people finish uh and come across that finish line and achieve a goal that they set out um you know to do that takes a lot of hard work so i just i think i enjoy the atmosphere of that um the most out of all of the distances Gotcha. Yeah, it's it's yeah. I'm, I am not nearly as experienced on the uh, the the ultra distance scene, but I I have done you know whatever the number is at this point five six seven something like that fifty k's, um, and yeah, I mean it's just it, it it's once you get over the fact that it's an ultra marathon, which which can be a hang up for for a little while, um, you know, and if you've done a couple of marathons, it's it's as douchey as it sounds, and as much as it's hard to maybe. Uh, accept it at least as difficult as it was for me to accept it. Like if you can do a marathon, you can do a 50 K like, even though it's, it's five miles uh, yeah, farther, yes. and it's, it's yep. you know, math and yada, yada, yada. Um, it's, it's something about, especially if you can, if you can wrap your head around the, like it's trails. It, if it is on a trail, it's a trail race. Like there's going to be some walking. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to stop at the aid stations. Um, it's, it's, it's a pretty good way to spend, you know, five, six, seven hours, whatever it takes, eight hours, 10 hours, whatever it is. Uh, not a bad way to spend out in the woods running for 31 ish miles. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's not, um, you know, after you've gone 26 miles, five miles doesn't sound that much further. Um, that can be a whole race within itself, which I think is part of what I enjoy, um, you know, about the ultra marathon distance, you know, whether it's, uh, 50k or, or further, you know, those last five to 10 miles or even one mile, uh, can turn into a whole separate experience by itself. Um, but you know, like you touched on with the, uh, atmosphere itself, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize or understand, um, the, the aid station part of it, the, you know, there's walk breaks, there's usually a more liberal cutoff or time limit, um, involved in these, you know, races, especially trails, if they're, you know, technical or, Mm -hmm difficult. So I think you purposely, uh, or in unintentionally have to slow down and kind of enjoy and soak in the experience a little bit more. Um, I, I have run several road marathons. I've run, you know, some road races still here and there. Um, and I enjoy them for a separate type of experience and, you know, dialing into that set pace and kind of, you know, setting a goal for yourself and kind of going after it. Um, but the, the trail and ultra experience is just a whole, separate thing. And I, I like both. Um, but the, the ultra side and the trail side has just kind of really, but has been sucked me in, uh, to going further and harder, uh, at different goals and things. I like it. And I want to, I want to dig into some of that, uh, maybe a little bit as we go, but, but first I'd rather kind of go back to or towards kind of the early parts of your, your running, your running life, your running journey, if you will. Um, how'd you get started in this sport, Nate? Is it something that's been, you know, long time part of the life, something, you know, in the last handful of years, where'd you, where'd you first dip your toes in the running water? So not, not a long time. Um, in the, in the big picture, I, uh, you know, I was, I did, I did some, uh, I was pretty athletic in, in high school and things and into college. And, um, but I was, uh, the only running I ever really did was, uh, sprinting for, uh, like a track team. Mm-hmm. So I only ever did up to like the 200 uh, meter distance. Um, so I was always like a, you know, short and fast, uh, right. distance runner. Um, so, you know, through college and into my after college years, I, you know, stayed active in the gym and things and um, kind of enjoyed that side of just generally staying fit and getting outside. I always loved hiking and camping and whatnot. Um, and the running thing kind of just started. I, I had switched careers um, and started a new job where I was a little bit more stationary, uh, a lot more driving time and started feeling like I needed some more cardio. So I kind of just started running again on my own. And I have, um, some friends of ours, uh, Josh and Aaron that live in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm on the Eastern shore of Maryland. So they're a little further away, but we spent a lot of time with them. They actually came to Salisbury where I live, uh, to run the Algonquin 50 K race, which is only about 15 minutes from where I live. They asked if they could stay with us, um, at our house. And instead of having to get a hotel and we obviously said, you know, of course, um, and then, you know, while they were here, I kind of asked a lot of questions about what they were here for and what they were doing. And it kind of spitballed into this or snowballed into this, um, challenge for me to sign up for the Algonquin 50 K the following year. So 
uh, within that year, I had I started I signed up and ran a half marathon, um, and then a couple I think I ran two or three half marathons just to kind of get get a little bit of feel for the distance. Um, I did one of trail event um, that was kind of a 5K loop where you run as many or as whatever you choose to run, and it was kind of like a no frills donation only, uh, no pressure type event where I ended up being able to run like 25 miles uh, on relatively minimal training. Um, so I kind of got the thought that maybe I could do this 50 K. So I, um, I went ahead and signed up for it and that the Algonquin 50 K that following year was what catapulted me, uh, into, uh, the, the world that I'm in now. So, um, that was 2019, I believe, uh, was the first year I ran the Algonquin 50 K. And so, um, the day after that I signed up for my first 50 miler, which was, the following month, because uh, I got a, got the bug and then um, completed that, only to realize I had actually registered for the Salisbury Marathon, which was the day or the week after my first 50 miler. So I kind of went in reverse order. I ran my first 50K in the beginning of February. I ran my first 50 miler at the end of March and my first official road marathon uh, the week after that in the beginning of April. Uh, and from there, I've just kind of gone, uh, you know, further and, um, just kept kind of pushing where I, you know, thought I could take my body. Wow. That's, uh, that's, that's quite the, the trajectory. And, and, uh, I, I think maybe, you know, you got to give a little tip of your tip of the hat to your friend who apparently is, is quite the salesman because I, I feel like, I mean, how much selling did he have to do to be like, you know, Not a lot. you're running a little Zero. bit, but let's do 50 K like let's, let's run 31 miles. So a little insight into my personality. If you haven't picked up on the, uh, I'll do and go for you just about anything to give it a shot. Um, he didn't really have to sell me at all. I was pretty much sold before they even came down. I didn't know that there was a 50 K trail race in my backyard. Mm -hmm. And I was a little disappointed that I didn't know that these trails and everything that were down here even existed. I think, you know, um, you interviewed uh, Trent Swanson, who's the RD for uh, Algonquin and, uh, you know, multiple other events that I do now, him and I have become pretty good friends over the last couple of years. And, um, you know, he talks a lot about using what's in your backyard, um, you know, and, and making the best of what you have around you. And there, it, the, the race itself, not only opened me to the ultra running world, but to the possibilities of doing a better job of finding things that are around you and, and, and experiencing uh, new things, even in your own backyard um, that you might not have known were there. Yeah, that's, that's an, an interesting thought. Um, especially because, you know, I mean, I'm, a, I'm as guilty as anybody of, of, you know, woe is me, especially when it comes to, to trails. So, uh, people listening are, are maybe mil are somewhat familiar probably with, with the fact that we moved to, to Georgia from Florida um, last summer. And so, you know, I, I used to, to bemoan a little bit in Florida about, you know, yeah, you know, if I, if I live somewhere where there are great trails instead of just swamps and alligators, like maybe I'd run the trails a little bit more. Um, and now I live somewhere with better trails that don't have as many, you know, a little bit less swampy and, and not any alligators. And I still don't run the trails that much, um, which maybe that's a whole nother topic, but, but just to the point of like, you know, what, what you do have, whether it's, it's flat and swampy, whether it's, you know, red clay and muddy and, and hilly or, right. or whatever it might be, um, you get out there and, you know, you can have a pretty good time running trails wherever, whatever your trails might look like. Right. And, and I think using, you know, for me personally, um, I, I live in, in Salisbury, Maryland. I'm about a 35 minute drive from Ocean City, Maryland and uh, Astigue Island, which is one of my favorite places to go and, and run. So I like to, you know, I've run a number of, of races with some pretty uh, intense um, elevation change and mountainous terrain. And I like to go to these, you know, challenging terrains and experience them, uh, you know, in a way that you can't really do on your own um, with the support of a race. And so the one of the ways that I can mimic uh, the intensity and kind of muscle taxing of climbing a mountain is to run in sand. So I use, um, Astigue Island as a, as a training ground for that kind of stuff. And I do a lot of running on the sand out there, um, and really enjoy it. And I've, um, you know, it's, it's a, you're usually one of the few people out there. Um, if you get that out there early and it's just a really awesome way to experience, um, your, 
own local uh, area, uh, and I've tried to always get people to come down there and run with me, but nobody wants to really run in the <laughs> sand. So I have a short list of folks that that have uh, come out to do it with me. But um, you know, that starts. I think that kind of stems into uh, my transition to, you know, while I still do a lot of races and stuff, I've gotten into doing more like running adventures. Um, one of them being, uh, the Assateague, uh, North to South, uh, point to point run. So Assateague, uh, from the North point to the South point, uh, is about 37 and a half miles. And the uh, trick with it is the closest access to the North point is six miles South. Um, in, and it's just surrounded by water on both sides. So obviously being an island. So to get to the North Point to actually start the run, uh, you have to kayak or mm-hmm. boat across. Um, so there's like all these different logistics that you have to figure out. And, uh, you know, Trent and Gabe Matico, uh, who's the RD for uh, the duck down here, um, they were instrumental in actually helping me um, get across the water the first time that I did this thing. And um, we've kind of created a, uh, an FKT out of it. Um, it's actually official now that Gabe, Gabe holds it. I took his record. He took it back from me, but we all help each other do this run. Um, and that kind of propelled me into finding more running adventures to do like, uh, you know, supported either self-supported or, um, by my wife, who's been instrumental in helping with a lot of these things. And, so uh, the guy, Josh, uh, that introduced me to the ultra world running, him and I have become pretty good friends um, over the years. And we've done now uh, the Laurel Highlands hiking trail in Western PA, which is a 70 mile point to point. They do a race there um, as well. But we uh, in 2020, when, it, when the race was canceled, we decided to go do it on our own. So that was one of my first like real supported adventures uh his girlfriend aaron and my wife uh christy are like their best friends from childhood so they like enjoy spending time with each other and thankfully because they supported us in like did seven or eight different places along the way of the 70 mile trail um and then we've gone on to do uh him and i did rim to rim to rim in the grand canyon together last spring uh and that was one of the most epic experiences you know i've i've ever had running so I still really love doing races, um, but these self, like self-supported adventures have kind of become a little bit of a different animal that I'm interested in getting into more of because it's just the logistics behind it, the the kind of solo support, and everything about it just is a little bit. It's just different than a than a race atmosphere, and some of the satisfaction of doing something like that on your own um, without the support of a race, you know, crew and um, and aid stations and everything. It's just kind of a whole different level of satisfaction that I've found. Yeah, I bet. And, and, you know, I guess maybe one of the, the real perks of that is that you're not tied down to when the race schedule is. I mean, obviously like there's, there's still logistics that have to be figured out, but you know, if the race schedule is the, whatever, the second week of June and you're like, yeah, I'd rather, I'd rather do this in, you know, I don't like the heat. I'd rather do it in the the last week of April. Like, you know, you can kind of make up your own schedule and, and do it whenever it suits you. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, and what we'll do a lot of times is, uh, the, the, that four person crew that I kind of mentioned, we, we do a lot of, um, traveling together and we will find something like the, like, for example, the rim to rim to rim. Um, we built like a week long vacation around that. So we went to, you know, Sedona, Arizona for a couple of days and my wife's birthday happened while we were out there. So we celebrated her birthday. And then, um, my wife and her friend Aaron actually did rim to river while we were doing R three. And then we all camped the night after and stayed for an extra day. And so we just kind of built like a, a vacation out of it. Um, we actually just got back last night from, uh, uh, California with the, with that crew. We just did a week out there, um, and ended up doing a lot of hiking and stuff, tried to get up towards Mount Whitney and we were thwarted by snow and whatnot, but it turned into, um, it, adventures, uh, with friends that, you know, we wouldn't be capable of doing otherwise if we didn't all, um, you know, stay up on our, our running game. Um, so, you know, I think that the, the training and the, everything that goes into the racing is not so much just for the races. It's for my life that I enjoy. Um, you know, I get to go to epic places and do epic things that other, uh, folks maybe, maybe never will experience. Um, and it's, become not easy, but, uh, more, 
I don't know, I'm more able to do uh, all of the things that I want that I want to do um, without so much uh, prepping and planning an issue. Yeah, well, and, and, you know, I mean, one of the one of along those same lines of just, you know, being able to, to see an experience. Um, I mean, I've said a few times that, that my favorite way to, you know, just go explore a, a different city or a different different area if I'm happy to travel somewhere for some reason is to just, you know, put on the shoes and go out for a few hours and, you know, probably get a little bit lost and figure your way out and, and yep. head, head back and, and, and really see it. Um, but I feel like that's even, even more, you know, whatever to the, to the, to the nth degree when you're in, in nature and, and just being able to be up close to it and see it and experience it. Um, and yeah, rim to rim to rim is definitely on my, on my, uh, I don't know, bucket list, if you will. Yeah. Um, but, but one thing that I've thought with rim to rim to rim and, and kind of hearing some different stories and different perspectives is that, Sometimes doing the the you know all the way de- you know down across and back across, um, it's it's a little bit hard to soak it all in because you got to keep moving the or, you know more or less you're you're moving the whole time you you don't have time to just stop and and maybe as much relax and enjoy and take your time. Um, what was what was your take on maybe you know what you and your buddy did versus what your wife and and her friend did where they quote unquote only did half of it but they you know probably could take it a little bit more leisurely. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's a question that makes any sense, but you know, the, the, all the way down across and back, was it a little more of a blur than you might've liked or, or how did you, you know, I mean, it sounds like it was a great day all, all the way around, but, uh, what were you, what, you know, let's dive into rim to rim to rim, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah. I would love to. It's a, uh, it's a, it's definitely, I, I think you kind of touched on a good point with, um, the, you know, rim to rim to rim, like being, that's, you know, the, the ultra goal. That's the, you know, thing that, um, you know, everybody that's, that's gotten deep into the ultra running world, you've heard of it, you want to experience it. Um, the thing that I will say about it is just because more people are doing it doesn't make it any less difficult. Mm-hmm. So to it, it's, there's a lot of research and looking into things and finding out there's a lot of like logistics with, uh, they have notoriously bad, you know, pipes running to the water access there. And sometimes they break and they freeze and mm-hmm. you have to check with the backcountry office to make sure that, um, you know, you know, what water is turned on and what's not because you're, you're the, the only way out of there if you have a problem is to be rescued. So, mm-hmm. um, something to be said about just doing the, the work ahead of time to make sure that you're prepared for the adventure. Um, that being said, um, because of it's, it's being self-supported, uh, you do not have a time limit. So, um, a lot of folks, you know, I hear that do this. I I actually joined a, like a Facebook, uh, R3 group, uh, before we did this adventure, um, just because it, it actually has a wealth of information and you can kind of get recent trail reports from people that, um, are out there. And a lot of folks that share their adventures um, on there and, and other places, uh, they share the time that it took them um, from our three, you know, rim to rim to rim. Mm-hmm. And Josh and I uh, purposefully slowed ourselves down multiple times during the, the uh, traverse just because we felt like we might have been pushing a little bit too fast. You kind of get in that race mentality where you're trying to cover the distance, you know, and keep moving. Um, and it's important, I think, to slow down and, and take in the site. So, um, I think it took us 17 and a half hours, which is, uh, you know, for 47 ish miles and 11,000 feet of gain. So the metrics are there. Um, but 17 and a half is probably a little bit long on the long side of what I, you know, we could have done quote unquote, but we weren't going for time. So I think we did a good job of slowing ourselves down and enjoying the experience. Um, all of that being said, I've already discussed with my wife and Josh and Aaron um, that were there with us that the next time I do, and there will be a next time of doing the, the adventure, I think I'd like to get a backcountry uh, camping pass and actually backpack it um, mm-hmm. over the course of two or three days um, because I would love to slow down, soak it in even more because there's actually um, quite a bit more uh, offshoot trails and things uh, in the base of the canyon that a lot of people don't realize are there. And I would like to kind of have a, a setup, you know, in the middle of the crossing to be able to have a day to go out and explore some more of things that we didn't get to go see. Uh, Ribbon Falls is one of the um, main attractions in the base of the canyon up near the north rim. Um, it was actually washed out. The or the, the bridge to get to it was washed out when we were there. So we couldn't have gone regardless. But it's, you know, it's two miles one way in and then back out. So, you know, to do R3 
and then do that. In addition, you're adding, you know, four miles to an already long adventure. So sometimes people skip it and I didn't get to see it personally. So, um, I would like to go back and slow down even more. Um, so I, I don't think that you lose the full experience. Um, you definitely don't get to do as much if you're trying to push to do R3, but, um, I think, you know, for me, I, like I said, I want to go back and do it even slower and, and, and soak it in a different way. Um, and that's, you know, kind of how I approach things. I, I like to see the, the, the doing it for trying to complete the crossing back and forth in a day is one experience and then going back and kind of, it's almost like walking, uh, you know, a trail after you've run a race the day after for a shakeout run, you kind of look around a little bit more, and kind of re you almost re experience the, the running part of it, uh, in a, in a slower way and kind of soak in, um, you know, all of the things that you loved about the, the running adventure itself, you know, but they're kind of separate experiences. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, it, I, I'm just sitting here kind of nodding going like, I feel like that's, that's, you could make that certainly make that it's, it's an easy parallel to draw on any type of trail experience. If you're, if you're bombing down the trail running versus if you're taking your time hiking, walking, you know, whatever. Um, but even, even, you know, just the different components of, um, any type of race, road race, trail race, whatever, where it's like, if you're up, you know, if you're really racing hard versus if you're maybe running and supporting a friend, it's their first race and you're going at, at their pace or you're for whatever reason, you're, you're just taking your sweet old time. Like you're just enjoying it and you're, and you're running, you know, just, towards the back of the pack or, you know, somewhere farther behind where you would normally be. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the same race in theory, but it's, it's a completely different experience. Um, but for something like rim to rim to rim, I just feel like it's, it, again, it's just like cranked up of the, the different, the different ways that you could tackle the same, the same challenge have mostly the same experience, but completely different experiences all at the same time. Yep. Absolutely agree. And it, you know, the, the, the R3 experience is, um, it's also, you know, heavily de- like weather dependent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you, you can, you want to slow down and enjoy the experience, but you also don't want to sit around and hang out in 95 degree heat for too long. <laughs> so you, you, it's this fine balance of like under, listening to your body, um, understanding also that you can spend more time, but you know, you have a finite amount of calories dude, that you have to carry everything with you. So, um, you have water access, which is great. You know, that we didn't have any issues with that. We just filled up every chance that we could. Um, there's, you know, Bright Angel Creek, which you can filter water from. So we just bring water filter and make sure we had uh, access to that. But so you you do have to keep moving to a certain degree, um, you know, because you obviously you've said you've run a couple 50 Ks and stuff. You get to that like that 20 mile mark. And if you slow down or stop, you know, you start to get that like, uh, you know, delayed onset muscle soreness and things start to kind of tighten up. So, you, you know, once you stop yeah, it's almost point. like like yeah. frequent stop and go. So that you stop, soak it in, keep moving. Um, you can't really hang out and sit for, you know, two hours and have lunch because you it's hard to get going after that. Um, you know, so you kind of have to find that balance between soaking in the experience, but also keep your body moving because you're, you're still physically exerting yourself, um, not just hanging out. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So going, going back to, to pin, we put in the, the conversation a little, a little while ago, Nate. Um, although I, I could keep talking about the grand Canyon, but at some point, I, you know, I could too. Yeah. yeah. Move on to something else. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, you, you, you touched on kind of still dipping your toes in, in some different running waters of doing some trail races and ultras, still doing some road things, you know, and then even going off on some of these other adventures that aren't necessarily quote unquote races, but it's still, it's still the running aspect and being out in, out in nature and, and finding your own way or, or, or however the, the adventure turns itself out. Um, and, and I guess I'm curious, do, do you, like, how do you approach the different styles of races, whether it's, you know, a road marathon versus a, a trail 50 miler versus, you know, I mean, maybe the adventures are, are far enough different that it's, it's relatively easy to have a different uh, approach to it. But, but does, you know, do you ever have a little bit of, of issue with blurring the waters of like, oh, I'm, it's a race, so I'm going to race it, even though it's a, it's a trail ultra. So like maybe slow down a little bit and enjoy the scenery a little bit more or enjoy the scenery a little bit more, but Hey, it's a road race. And like, I kind of, you know, maybe this is a, a good time to push it. Like, is there, is there ever any, any muddy into the waters for you when it comes to the different types of races that you, that you do? Um, so sometimes, um, I can kind of probably be a long answer, but <laughs> that's all right. We got time. Yeah. So, um, I, I like to approach every, every race difference or every race distance, and every race, um, 
a little bit differently. Um, depending on, you know, who I'm doing it with, uh, who, or what, what the terrain is like, whether it's, you know, is it a new place that I haven't, um, gotten to run before? So usually, uh, anything, you know, 50 K 50 mile, uh, or under, um, I will usually try to push myself a little bit uh, time-wise. I've, I've gotten comfortable enough with those distances over time. That being said, you know, things can go wrong any day. Um, it doesn't get easier just because you've done it more times. You just kind of learn how to combat issues a little bit better. Um, so you can't, you know, you can't really train to run like a, a fast marathon and also train to run a hundred miler at the same time. So, I don't really try to do that. I just try to, I try to vary my, my regular training enough, you know, with, with speed work. And I, I'm very big proponent of spending time in the gym, uh, to keep the, the foundation strong, to stay healthy, you know, doing all of these things. Um, so, you know, I kind of approach every race a little bit differently. I'm not the fastest, uh, runner in the field. Um, pretty much anytime I go to a race. Um, but I am, pretty good at setting my own. I like to set my own goal for my, for myself. And I, you know, I'll go in with a time goal just because I'm a very, uh, I like to kind of stay mentally structured and know what I need my average pace to be and get myself out of an aid station if I'm, you know, running a little bit long on time, but I will never ever lose sight of the experience of the race, um, because I didn't hit a time goal. So there's always A, B, C, and D, you know, and E all the way down to Z. So <laughs> it's like if a goal is, you know, six hours for a 50 K, uh, you know, but it, the terrain might be a little bit more technical or difficult than I in planned for, or maybe there was rain the day before and there's a lot of mud or something. Mm -hmm. And I run seven hours. I'm not going to be disappointed because of the time, uh, because ultimately, you know, when it comes back down to the, the reason for being out there, it's because um, I enjoy the experience and I, I like to try to keep myself reined in on not, you know, being competitive with myself and, and running uh, for a time, but never making that like the, the primary reason that I'm doing it. So um, all that being said, uh, when I get to like, I've done, uh, 200 milers at this point, I've attempted three. <laughs> I had a, a DNF, uh, this is maybe four weeks or, uh, I'm sorry, like eight weeks ago. Um, and I just ran my second, uh, successful one two weeks ago, um, as a result of the DNF of the, of the rabid raccoon. But, um, you know, that being like my point being that I ran that, uh, rabid raccoon, uh, 100 and I got hypothermia and had to be pulled at mile 85. So I was almost there. And, you know, a lot of people were saying, Oh man, it's okay. You know, you, you gave it your best shot. And I think there's like, I, I was, folks were trying to like console me. Like I was going to be really upset that I DNF to this race, but I still got to experience 85 miles in, in you know, in 27 hours worth of time in the woods in a place I had never been before. Um, and so I just, even with not achieving the you know goal I set out to achieve, um, I, I still had a really awesome experience at that race. Um, I will go back in next year and try to run it again, um, because I'm competitive with myself, but, um, you know, I really still enjoyed the experience. Um, and then, you know, I was, I felt healthy enough and recovered enough after a couple of days, um, after that race and was able to get into the New Jersey devil 100, uh, up in New Jersey and the pine barrens, um, just a couple of weeks ago with a, a awesome race group we have here on the East coast, uh, beast coast productions. Um, and they, uh, they got me in there and I was able to go up and, uh, and get my, my second buckle there. Um, so, you know, awesome experience there, but, uh, again, I, I wouldn't have been there had the DNF at Rabbit Raccoon not happened. So I got to have another whole experience, you know, stemming from another race. So right. um, I just try to keep that perspective of uh, enjoying the experience and not always uh, dialing in and focusing on like a finishing time or something like that. Right. Well, and, and sometimes I, I have to remind myself and sometimes I have to, maybe more often, I have to remind the, some of the folks that I, I work with as a coach that, you know, race day, like is it's obviously it's, it's, it's important. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's 
you know, different uh, for, for all of the reasons that we enjoy races, but it's, it's also still just one data point. And like, you know, as humans uh, and, and as humans that are pushing ourselves physically, like obviously we love it when everything goes well, but you know, things can go sideways, whether it's, it's our bodies, whether it's environmental, whether it's whatever, and especially start, you know, ramping up the distance hundred miles, like, you know, that's a lot of time for things to go sideways. And sometimes you can salvage it and sometimes you can work through it and get back on track and you're fine. And sometimes, you know, you get hypothermic, like there's no real coming back from that. Like it's, it's, you know, you, the, the only thing you really can do is, is have somebody recognize like, Hey dude, you, you got to shut it down. Um, and you know, literally live to fight another day or live to run another day. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I'm, I'm with, you know, I, I trained really hard for that race, that rabbit raccoon. And, uh, it, it was muddy and it was um, colder overnight than anticipated. And I've never had issues with battling the cold. And, you know, I had a plan. I executed the plan. I ran super well up until about mile 65. And then, you know, things got really cold. I kept adding layers and couldn't get there. And, it you know, it just it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. But that doesn't mean that the experience didn't, you know, happen. It doesn't null and void uh, the whole, you know, experience up to that point. Um, and, you know, I like to refer to uh, I, I, I keep a mental toolbox mm-hmm. and um, I like to consider, you know, every experience, whether positive, negative or otherwise, um, you're always just adding tools to that mental toolbox um, so that, you know, next time, it's not so much of an if it's when, you know, issues will arise, especially in the longer distances, you just get better at recognizing issues before they happen, combating them. And you just get better at figuring it out. Um, there's going to be issues the longer distance that you, that you go. And I think that, um, you have to make a plan, but then also accept the fact that that plan's probably not going to go according to plan. (laughs) So just understand that, um, follow it the best that you can, but if something's not working, uh, you have to adjust and, and, uh, and, you know, change your, your, uh, approach as things develop and and change throughout uh, a race. So part of the satisfaction of, of, you know, achieving a goal is just getting better along the way and, you know, being like, okay, the last time I started feeling like this, I needed water or I needed, you know, salt or I needed, uh, you know, a carbonated beverage to settle my, my stomach or something like that. So being able to do those things, um, without, um, you know, a second thought, because you just kind of know that that's what your body needs at that time. Um, that's really what you get better at, you know, as you go in the further distances, like, you know, just because you've done more long distance races, I don't think you get necessarily the, the race doesn't get easier. The distance doesn't get easier. You just get better at kind of tackling it. So, um, that's kind of how I, I take the approach to the, you know, every distance, you just approach it a little bit differently. Understand that when I'm pushing hard in a 50 K, um, things can go just as wrong as they can in mile 80 of a hundred miler because I'm doing a very different pace, you know, and at that high rev, you know, it's like racing a car. <laughs> if you try to go a hundred mile, miles an hour for, you know, 10 miles, there's a lot more things that can happen than if you just go cruise control, you know, for a hundred miles. Um, so, uh, I approach every distance with a little bit of a different, um, mentality as far as whether I want to, you know, push hard or just stay slow and steady, uh, you know, approach the terrain, uh, based on, you know, whether you're going to be doing a lot of climbing or, uh, there's sand or, you know, there's just a lot of different variables that you have to kind of just um, fix your right. approach as you as you come uh, across them. Yeah. And, and for the the those of us, I guess I'm, I'm probably one of them that are m- probably still more road runners than trail runners. Um, you know, you talk about all those different different things that could kind of change your approach. Like you can have all of that in, the, in a single race. You know, you can have sections yep. where you can run pretty hard and then it's, it's low and slow and then it's hike yep. and it's grind. And, and uh, you know, and you can cycle through that a few times depending on the race course and the distance and all that kind of stuff, too. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I, there's a the thing I think I like most about a lot of these like uh, the mountainous terrains and the technical um, climbing and descents and things is there there's always you know, sections of the race that you, you probably should turn it on. And, you know, you, I might be, I might be running uh eight or nine minute mile pace, you know, which is pretty fast for a long distance, you know, for a couple of miles to try to cut down the time. But then 
you know, when I need to power hike, you know, a thousand foot climb, I'm not so worried about pushing, you know, beyond, you, you know, you'd get, keep your heart rate down. You want things to stay under control. And so, you know, you don't have to worry about pushing up a hill to save a minute, you know, over when you can save that energy to run the runnable sections and, you know, maybe hit a downhill. Um, so there's such that up and down variety, like you're saying, where, you kind of have to put all that together. You need to run fast in some parts. You need to run slow in some parts. You need to slow it down on climbs sometimes to make sure you keep, keep your heart rate down and under control um, and just kind of, you know, put it all together. Yeah. And, and like you said, a lot of that comes with, with experience, especially at the, the longer distances. So uh, talking about hundred milers, you know, the, the second one didn't quite end the way you wanted to. The third one went, went well, what was the, what was the first hundred mile race like? Um, it it went really well actually. I, it was the uh, Devil Dog uh, 100 um, out in near Triangle, Virginia. It shares the uh, it's on uh, the trails that the like original um, beginning of the CIA the the, the uh, spies and things used mm-hmm. to train on these trails back there. So it's kind of there's like these old like cabins and um, it's a really historic area. So it's, it's pretty cool to kind of run on those trails, but it's a, uh, it's a 20 mile, um, looped course. Um, so you do five loops of the, of the same, uh, course. And so for my first, uh, hundred, I thought that that would be, uh, a a pretty good structure to kind of break it off, you know, into chunks, uh, mentally and physically. Um, I had had some friends that had completed that one successfully as their first, hundreds and they all, you know, highly recommended it. So I went ahead and jumped on board for that. Um, uh, I was supposed to do it in, I think 2020 and then it was canceled because of COVID. And I, so then I was like, well, now I'm trained up for a hundred. What, what do I do? <laughs> so I kind of just kept, kept the volume up and kept, you know, my training up for the next year and finally was able to, to toe the line, uh, the following December. So, um, fortunately we got really great weather. Um, it was, you know, uh, high 30s, low 40s during the day, which is great for running and, you know, maybe 28 or 30 overnight. So just, you know, throw some tights and a jacket on, um, no rain. Um, so I was very fortunate with the weather. Um, I had my my wife, uh, I had the full crew for this experience. I, I haven't had a, I've done the last two uh, hundreds without a crew. I just did drop bags and whatnot and um, no pacers or anything. But for the first one at Devil Dog, um, I had my wife and some friends that were um, set up at one section on the 20 mile loop so that every time I came around, you kind of have that mental boost of knowing that you're going to see people, you know, um, also get, you know, whatever you might need with some a little bit of help from your friends. Um, And then I also had uh, pacers for the fourth loop and the fifth loop. Um, And so I had friends come up from, you know, the local trail running community that we have here. Uh, and that was just like all I needed, you know, getting to mile 60 after you train for a hundred should be relatively smooth. And it, and it was for me, fortunately, I managed myself really well early. Um, and once I picked up pacers, um, it was just a fun run in the woods, you know, with friends, you know, obviously I, you know, you start with some fatigue and whatnot, but if you have the right pacer or people with you, um, it can really help pass the time. And I was very fortunate to have uh, a friend of mine, Robert Buecher came up and pasted me for, uh, the, the lap, uh, four and then Trent Swanson, the RD of, uh, Algonquin, he actually, uh, he specifically, uh, volunteered himself to pace me for loop five. Um, right when I signed up because he, uh, knew that he could keep up with me at that time, he right. said. So, well, that's, that's um, the but, key is if somebody's got 80 miles on their legs, like it's probably yeah. a pretty pedestrian pace at that point. Yeah, exactly. I ended up actually having to mostly hike it in for the last 15 or so. I had some irritation in a, in a leg or a knee tendon or something like that, but it ended up not being a huge issue, but I didn't want to uh, put, you know, push right. and, uh, and make something worse than it already was. And, um, so I had fortunately run really well early in the race and had plenty of time under the cutoff. And it, being my first hundred miler, I had no time goal other than just to finish, uh, you know, and be an official finisher. So uh, Trent and I, we, we share a lot of miles together, and uh, those twenty were were just as fun as any of the other ones we do. And he's a great guy to to be out there, and he's got millions of stories, so he can tell you. Um, you know, stories and talk to you and just kind of keep you distracted from the fact that you're uh, trying to grind out the last 20 miles of a hundred miles. So he was great to have. So I had an awesome crew and awesome experience. And, um, 
that's you know how the first one went. So it was great. Is there is there a specific reason or strategic reason or just to push yourself that you decided to go no pace no or no pacers no crew for the the other two hundreds that you you know the one that was successful and the one that came up a little short? Um, so the rabbit raccoon one was out in Western PA and just logistically from me I felt um, I didn't really want to ask anybody to commit their entire weekend and I I don't know I maybe I should have. Um, but also my wife is normally my, my crew chief. Uh, she's the, the, the fire that, uh, can, you know, come after me and tell me to stop being a baby when I need to. And, um, but she actually, with this event, the, the rabbit raccoon was a, was a 20 mile loop as well. Um, five loops. And, but they also did, con, um, parallel events with a 20 miler in the morning, a 20 mile race at night. And then they did a hundred K uh, and they also offered an option where you could run uh, the 20 mile race in the morning at eight o'clock and also run the uh, midnight 20 miler and they called it the trash panda. So my wife actually participated in that and ran the 20 in the morning and the 20 at night. And I didn't want her to have to try to crew me uh, in between her adventure. So um, because it was a looped course and they had um, two different places along the loop that you could do drop bags. It required a lot more thought forethought and planning on my part to make sure I had all the things that I would need. But, um, I just kind of went with, uh, I don't typically need the, the company now for as, as far as pacers. Um, I I'm kind of good on my own. So, um, I, I don't think that that was a reason why I, you know, took a, uh, a loss there. Um, it was just, fatigue and my body didn't respond with, you know, heating itself the way that it normally does. The, the course had like six miles of the 20 mile loop was just knee deep or uh, ankle deep mud. That was just really, I, I think they only had, a, it was maybe 17 or uh, finishers out of like 80 uh, or 70 starters. And um, Dean Carnazis actually <laughs> the famous uh, ultra runner came out to uh run the race and he took a dnf too so i also you know i took a dnf with dean carnazas so that's okay right yeah there. so um but yeah they i don't i don't think that the race went any differently than it than it would have you know regardless of crew um and and kind of because of that um being a little bit not as much of an issue as i thought um i went ahead and registered for the new jersey devil 100 but that one because it was not originally on my calendar it was only five weeks away right from rabid raccoon. And I just, I really didn't have time to try to ask people to come help. My wife had already had plans mm -hmm. with some friends for that weekend. And so she, you know, pretty much told me I could sign up, uh, as long as she under understood that she wasn't coming. So, <laughs> um, I wrote up, uh, and my friend Josh actually, uh, he was already registered to run. So him and I, um, just shared a hotel and, um, and, went up the night before and I just did the same kind of thing, just did drop bags along the course. This one was a little bit different where it was, um, a 45 mile point to point and then a 10 mile loop. Mm. Uh, and then you did that same 45 mile trail on the Batona trail, uh, in New Jersey back to the start line. So, um, you still had to, you had three drop bag stations, but you passed two of them twice. Gotcha. Um, so it was kind of easy as long as you sit down and, you know, make a list and plan what you want, where, um, it was kind of easy to make sure I had, you know, everything I needed. And the aid stations there, um, because I had run a couple of events, uh, of the beast coast, uh, group before I knew that they had really, really good crew and eight volunteers and really awesome aid stations. So I wasn't concerned about not having foods that I might be able to eat. Um, you know, I try to eat mostly solid foods and things at aid stations during races to keep my stomach under control. Mm -hmm. Um, and not, you know, to eat a lot of gels and, um, stuff that just kind of gets, uh, repetitive over time and it'll block your stomach up. So as long as the aid stations are serving good food, um, decent options, and I have, you know, different changes of clothes and, uh, things I might need along the way in the drop bags, I really don't, uh, I didn't really need, to have a crew that doesn't mean I wouldn't prefer to have one or have, have pacers join me. Um, but I didn't find it necessary, um, for that one. So I went ahead and just did it, uh, solo. Gotcha. Well, and maybe that's, that's a nice, you know, um, going forward, like 
it's it's if it works out where your wife can come or other friends or whatever you can have some some folks and have a have a pacer or two or whatever like great like icing on the cake but if not like you know it doesn't sound like there was a whole lot of hesitation in terms of like i don't know if i can do this without one but like now you know i mean two races even though the one didn't quite finish like what you wanted to like it still went pretty well all things considered like you know you can you can do 100 with no pace or no crew like i mean that that's i don't want to say no problem because it's 100 miles and there's problems in 100 miles but like that piece of the puzzle if it doesn't work out schedules whatever like that's that doesn't have to be a hang-up for you going forward yeah yeah i, th- I think so you know I, like i said i I would definitely prefer it because you you never know how things are going to go. And if you, I think that looking, having a pacer in particular, especially if it's, you know, you're picking them up at mile 60 or 65 or whatever, um, you know, a lot of things can go wrong and start to feel, um, you know, you, if you, if you start to let your mind think about how much uh, you have left and things like that, you, it only takes a split decision or a, a moment for you to decide that, you can't continue. Right. Um, but if you have that pacer or crew or something to look forward to, I think it keeps you like going towards something that's not just the finish line. So you have like these kind of, you know, markers, mm-hmm. uh, along the way. So like, all right, I just need to get to my pacer, you know, they're going to bring, you know, bring up my spirits and, you know, get me back where I need to be, keep an eye on me. Um, so I think I would always prefer to have that just in case something goes wrong. I just kind of got uh, lucky and fortunate that, and I was able to, to do it all, um, solo, but, um, I wouldn't have a hesitation to, uh, it wouldn't stop me from doing a race. If I didn't have a crew or pacer at this point, I do feel more comfortable, uh, just planning out drop bags and, you know, uh, making sure you research the terrain, what you're going to impact, you know, what's the, what's the average weather looking like, are you going to have rain? Um, just make sure you kind of know that you're prepared for all different elements and, and, uh, whatever surprises might come along. Right. Well, and, and to our earlier topic that's bubbled up a few times, like, you know, the more times you do it, the more familiar you are, the, 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 I don't want to say easier, but the, the less of a, I guess easier that you're able to roll with things and figure it out and, and kind of see things come and maybe head them off at the past too. Absolutely. Yeah. They just, you know, things that you, that are a big problem, uh, in your first race, uh, become very minor in your 20th or, or, or second or third, even, I mean, you just, you just have to make sure that you're kind of soaking in those experiences, whether they're positive or negative so that you can just learn. Um, you know, we always, and just in life, you learn from your mistakes. It's the same thing in, in, in running. You just learn from things that go wrong. It's not necessarily a mistake that you made. Um, it's just learning how your body reacts to certain elements. And, you know, me in particular, I've never been great in running in high heat. So I know like when I do races in, in higher temperatures, I have to uh, do things a different way. Uh, I take in electrolytes and, you know, things like that, that I normally don't drink during uh, other races. And, you know, you just kind of learn along the way as you, as you battle different things uh, in different races. Yeah, absolutely. And, and um, as we're getting, getting close to wrapping up, Nate, I, I, I uh, want to touch on something and it kind of ties into what you say. You kind of learn, you know, sometimes, sometimes the hard way, sometimes, you know, you get fortunate and you learn the lessons without having to go through the rough patch. Um, but I feel like something that a lot of runners struggle with or, or, um, are stubborn, stubbornly refuse to sometimes, uh, get into the gym and do some strength training. You mentioned earlier that strength training is kind of, at least as I heard it kind of always been a part of your routine and something that, that is a, is a priority for you. Um, and I'd be, I'd, I would love it if you would harp on the value of strength training for any type of runner, but especially start getting into the longer distances since, uh, I have it on good authority that a lot of distance runners, marathoners, ultra runners, um, kind of shy away from, or don't prioritize strength training maybe as much as they should. Yes. So, um, this is, you know, if, if you've ever, uh, anybody listening that, that knows me or has run with me, um, is definitely familiar with the fact that I'm a huge uh, proponent and, um, of strength training. And I think a lot of people have the misconception that you can't do, you know, ramp up mileage and also do strength training. You just have to, you know, adjust the plan, uh, and adjust your routine to be able to support what you are doing. Um, so I've done a lot of, you know, I might do a six week, um, you know, for, for example, I have, a break right now, kind of, I just did the, the New Jersey, New Jersey devil and I've got a 50 miler in June. But besides that, I don't have anything on the calendar until Pemberton 24 in September. So I'm going to use uh, kind of a lighter schedule to uh, reincorporate like a heavier leg routine for just six weeks and just kind of, um, I'll be sore a little bit. So my running will be 
a little less intense, um, but you know, I'll do that rotation and, and then once I'm through that and get back into the racing schedule, you know, I'll, I'll dial things back a little bit, but I never stop. Mm -hmm. Um, it's usually, I have a three day, uh, routine, but you know, you, when I'm training for things like, uh, races with a lot of climbing, you know, in addition to just running on the sand, um, I do a lot of lake specific, uh, route, you know, workouts and things that are geared towards being a better climber. Um, and I think that also just being generally, uh, like well-rounded in your fitness. Uh, I think you can probably, you know, speak to that as a coach, as a run coach, that just the more well-rounded you are, the better, uh, prepared you are to attack, you know, just about anything. I think like races with like a lot of climbing tend to scare people that don't have hills in their backyard. Like, you know, we don't have, um, but if you just approach, go to a race, as well-rounded and fit as you can, uh, you know, climbing and descending and all that kind of stuff involved in those races, uh, is more about your overall general fitness that it is about just climbing mountains on a regular basis. So, um, just, you know, being able to prepare yourself in the most well-rounded way possible. Uh, I think the gym is a huge part of that. You know, you don't, build a house by putting the roof, the roof on first, you, you know, start with a strong foundation so that you can sustain it for a long, long time. So I think that, you know, that's kind of how I look at it. The, the, I've been very fortunate jumping into these distances and the ultra world, the way that I have, uh, you know, knock on wood without any major setbacks or injuries. And I think that, you know, because I stay uh, strong in the gym and, and stay on that, uh, it's really the, pr the primary reason why I've been able to be as resilient as I have been. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and um, I love that you just talked about just, you know, just the general fitness and, and like I would make the argument. It sounds like you're making the argument, too, that like generally being, you know, overall general improvement of your fitness is going to help you as a runner. But also, you know, not for nothing, but like we, we also tend to do things in our lives beyond running. And so, like, you know, if you're just generally fit and strong, like you go to pick up the kids or the grandkids or a bag of, you know, get the 40 pound bag of dog food or like whatever kind of nonsense yeah. things that go on in life that you can tweak something or strain something or pull something. And if you're have a little bit more well, well-balanced fitness beyond just, I can run pretty well in a straight line. Not that that's yeah. a bad thing, but you know, just more well-rounded uh, you can kind of avoid some of those fluky issues that have been known to, to sideline folks for a while. And then that can Absolutely. impact your running fitness and so on and so forth. I think the, the just last little thing I'll add to that is I always, preach quality over quantity. So in addition to, you know, if I'm ramping up my uh, heavier leg routine in the gym, I might run less miles, you know, cumulatively. Um, I think that people get caught up on it. Obviously if you have, you know, if you, as a coach, you might write a training plan for somebody. Um, but it has a specific mileage number, you know, tied to it or, or whatever, if you're ramping up, you know, to get a certain distance. But, uh, I don't, usually, uh, tie myself to a specific, you know, set mileage. And I think that sometimes it's scary to look at a training plan with a, you know, mile numbers mm. and think, how am I going to actually do all of that? Um, but there are a lot of substitutes that can be done, you know, either in the gym or in addition, you know, maybe you do a stacked workout with a, you know, you, you hit the gym and then run after, mm -hmm. and maybe you do four miles instead of eight miles that are on the plan. Uh, but like things like that, that I'll do a lot of, uh, I might not hit the the mileage that I quote unquote should be running to prepare for the distance that I'm doing. But if I make focus on the quality of the workouts I'm doing and make sure I do a structured, you know, speed work or threshold workout or something once or twice a week, um, those miles, you know, being maybe five miles versus 10 miles easy, it, I'll have time to do the workout, but maybe not run 10 miles. So I, I like to look at that quality uh, over just a quantity and looking at just a mile number. So I think that that's a thing that, you know, if you're looking to get into a longer distance or take a leap, um, don't just look at, you know, a training plan with mile numbers on it. Uh, consider all of the value of strength training, you know, maybe you like cycling, work in mm -hmm. cycling, um, just become a well-rounded fit, fit person and approach with a good mental, uh, confidence that you're prepared for the distance and then just show up and put one foot in front of the other. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, as we're wrapping up one final question for you, Nate, I can't, can't let you out without something philosophical to, to wrap things up here. And, and I'd be curious, 
Um, and just just for your reference, uh, I say this just about every time, but it's not anything super fancy. Just a pretty open-ended question. Take it where you want it, and that's where we'll we'll wrap it up for today. Um, but in the the handful of years since you you know kind of took the took the plunge into the first 50k and and have been climbing ladders and and running different adventures and things like that since then, um, curious if you can if if there's anything that stands out, any ways that uh, maybe getting into to the running world or the trail running world. Um, has really changed you over the last handful of years that, you know, I mean, no way of knowing, but if you hadn't, you know, had your buddy sign up for Algonquin and stay at the house and talk you into it, maybe, maybe this, this lesson, this realization, this change would have never happened to you. So how, how has running changed your, changed your life over the last handful of years? It has absolutely changed me, uh, for the better. Um, you know, I, I think that, uh, looking back at when I first decided to to take the leap and, and sign up for the Algonquin 50K, you know, I was kind of at a point in life where um, I was happy in my career. I was happy in my home and my, my married life and everything was great. Um, but I didn't have um, a competitive thing to put my energy into um, outside of just going to the gym. And I just kind of was looking for something to do to compete with myself again. Um, I kind of missed that from my younger years and, um, that racing training and everything gave me, uh, more purpose. And I, I think that, it, that, uh, putting my time and effort into more and more goals, uh, for myself has kind of really just given me uh, purpose and structure for my downtime. You know, I, I have a, a, a structure and a, and a thing to work towards, um, but it translates into, to life, you know, I, the, having completed some of these longer distances and, and even shorter ones that are really difficult, um, races and things, you, your perspective on life, I think adjusts and changes and things that are difficult in life just seem less, less difficult and less, uh, you know, little things don't seem like such a big deal. Um, and you just kind of have a, a changed perspective or, you know, I do, at least I do personally. Um, I just general life feels easier, uh, because I know that I can do difficult things and, you know, regardless of, uh, whether things seem bleak or, uh, something in life happens, you know, there's always, uh, a silver lining. There's always uh, light at the, at the end of the tunnel. There's always an other side, uh, and you know, if you just keep working at stuff, you can always get through it and figure it out. And so I think that, you know, just racing has helped me, uh, tackle life better too. Mm, I love it. I love it. And y'all, uh, if, if, uh, you, you enjoyed that and enjoyed our conversation and kind of want to follow along as, as Nate continues to tackle different race challenges and different running adventures and who knows whatever else life throws at him, uh, Instagram, I am Nate Hanley is the handle. That's all one word. I am Nate Hanley. Dizruns.com slash 1156. We'll get you back to the show notes for today. Photos, links, of course, link over to, to Nate's social media as well. Uh, Dizruns.com slash 1156. So, uh, Nate, that was as often as the case. Time flies when you're having fun. That was that was a, a really enjoyable chat. I appreciate the time. Um, and uh, glad that, that running has been such a, a great thing for you in the last handful of years. And hopefully uh, it continues to be for, for many, many, many more years into the future. But uh, thanks for the time today, my friend. And, and nothing but the best to you going forward. Absolutely. I appreciate you having me. I've got, I've got plenty more, so maybe we'll have to do this again uh, sometime in the future. All right, y'all. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the show. Hope you enjoyed the conversation between Nate and myself. And as per usual, be curious to know what stood out to you from today's episode. What was your uh, takeaway du jour? Du jour. Um, for me, it was something that kind of bubbled up a couple times and, and we, we, we dove into it just, just a hair, but it was you know, Nate was talking about the idea that, that doing some of these distances, you know, even the, the quote unquote short ultra distance races, but even the hundred mile as well. Um, uh, you know, the more times he does the race, the more he becomes familiar with it. Uh, not that it becomes easier, but it becomes a little bit easy, more, more easy. I don't know. A little bit, uh, less daunting to navigate some of the issues that, that crop up. And, uh, to, to me, like the reason it's, it's, it's the takeaway for me today is that, it's one of those things that like seems in my view, at least seems pretty obvious yet just because it's obvious doesn't mean it's something that is easily, always easily recognizable yet. As I look back on, on my running life, career journey, whatever you want to call it, it's like, absolutely. You know, sometimes the, the more familiar I am with the distance or maybe the more familiar I am with a certain race, 
uh, the less daunting it becomes. Not that it becomes easier, but it's just, it's just, you know, there's, there's less unknown. There's more, I have a better idea of what to expect. And like Nate talked about, sometimes when things start to go a little bit sideways, maybe you've been there before, or at least had something similar happen before. And you have a better chance to, to know how to respond. Um, maybe you know what not to do because you did something, you know, that, that maybe you, you look back and go, Oh, you know, I stop and to tie my shoes or, or whatever it might've been, uh, maybe cause, cause more problem than good. Uh, for me and and you know, not that you asked, but just as a, as a more concrete example, uh, I, I know sometimes you, if you're, if you're feeling tight, maybe you feel like you're, you're cramping up a little bit, stopping to, to stretch seems to help for me. Every time I've stopped to stretch during a race, uh, it's only made things worse. So no longer are you going to, you're going to see me stopping to stretch a, a, a hamstring or a calf or anything during a race. Like it just, and I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it's all in my head, but that's just one of those, one of those examples of things I've tried hasn't worked. And, uh, now even when I feel some of the same symptoms, we, we try something different. We try to just keep powering through, uh, just keep walking, slowing down, speeding up, changing gait. Uh, but I don't stop to stretch anymore because I've experienced it. So, you know, it's, it's like I said, it seems to me that, that it's pretty obvious yet. I don't know that I, I don't know how long it took me to piece it together. The more times I do various distances, various challenges on in running, um, not that it makes it easier, not that it guarantees that things don't go sideways, but I just feel like I'm more in control, more in charge. Um, so I don't know. That was my takeaway. Just, just the familiarity doesn't make it easier, but it makes it less scary. And I think that that's, that that's a good thing. So, uh, that was my takeaway. Something that I definitely related to with, with Nate's, Nate's story and Nate's journey today. And, uh, curious to know if, if you have something that stood out to you from today's episode, maybe it was something similar. Maybe it was the same exact thing. Maybe it was something completely different, you know, training on the sand because you don't have mountains. I don't know. Lots of different things. You could be your takeaway from today, but if you'd be willing to share it, I would love to hear it at Diz runs on Twitter at Diz runs on Instagram. Of course, you can also send an email to Diz runs at gmail.com. And if you're so inclined as to head over to the show notes for today, Dizruns.com slash 1156 will get you there. We've got a couple of photos. And, of course, there's that comment section down at the bottom of the page as well. Feel free to fill it up to your little heart's content. Hit that submit button and share your feedbacks and takeaways that way. Uh, so that's that's that. One last call for today's sponsor, which is just, I guess, me, which is really just the book. Be Ready on Race Day is available wherever you get wherever you shop on Amazon. Again, assuming it's the Amazon site, not Audible, uh, but print version, digital version. You can also get it from my website if you're so inclined. You want me to sign it, personalize it, send you a copy. We can make that happen. Uh, but Be Ready on Race Day is the home base. And of course, again, you can search on Amazon for Be Ready on Race Day. And we got you covered there as well. Get yourself a copy and then make sure you put it into practice to, to design the training plan that's right for you for your next for your next race, whenever that may be. So check it out, BeReadyOnRaceDay.com. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap this one up. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to hit that share button. Always appreciate when you help spread the word. Until next time, y'all be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, right? Later, y'all.